0: Welcome to Talled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where Dr. Kathy Weston selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Dr. Simona Scriptoskite is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Oxford. She works for Oxford's Co-Space Study, COVID-19 supporting parents, adolescents, and children during pandemics and the Oxwell Student Survey, where she's been focusing on the effects of gaming and social media on adolescent mental health. Simona also leads a project on leading from the trajectories of mental health challenges for children, young people and parents over the course of the pandemic, which will compare how families have been affected by the pandemic in the UK and Japan. Overall, her research to date has aimed to identify developmental processes underlying successful functioning, but has ranged across child and adolescent mental health, emotional regulation, parent-child relationships, as well as neurodiversity, visual attention, and perception. So, you're very, very welcome. How are you, Simona? I'm all good. How are you, Kathy? Good. I'm very excited to talk about. This is one piece of research I will not be showing my teenage son. <laughs> Because we're going to be talking about a fantastic paper that you published on the well-being of adolescent gamers using sort of data from the Oxwell study. And this is going to be our Researcher of the Month feature for February 2023. So we're very excited to have you on board.
1: So tell us all about this study. Tell us what it was about. What was the title of it? Oh, good question. It's quite a mouthy title. I might not remember it myself. So it's oh, looking at the written piece of it. So it's time spent gaming, device type, addiction scores, and well-being of adolescent English gamers in the 2021 Oxford survey: a latent profile analysis. And as the title says, it's basically looking at how the time spent gaming, the device you're using for it. The sort of the control over the gaming and the well-being interacts in the adolescent gamers or a subsample of adolescent gamers who are spending over 3.5 hours a week, well, a day actually playing video games. So
0: the sort of the impetus for this study was really, there's always been you know, concern, if you like, parental concern about young people spending too much time on gaming. And over the pandemic, well, frankly, we were surviving on gaming and online interaction. And this study was really exploring, you know, are we being overdramatic as parents, worrying about gaming? Are all of our children suffering from gaming disorder? From your perspective, what was the impetus for the study, you know?
1: I think it's very related to that. So one on one side there's the fact that I'm a gamer myself, so I have quite a, a positive view of gaming. It's been a great sort of you know source of entertainment for me and things like that and support as well sometimes. And on the other hand, as a sort of COVID time mental health researcher of children and families, right, what we noticed a lot is both an increase in mental health difficulties in children and adolescent populations, and an increase in sort of engagement with online resources, be it gaming, screen time, and things like that. There's been quite a few studies out there publishing sort of data showing that both has been heightened. So that's really similarly raised that question in me of is it actually something that just is happening at the same time? Or is that something that's related? Is one giving rise to another? And historically, in sort of gaming research, there's there's been a lot of research sort of going like, oh, gaming is bad. There's this direct association between it. Gaming causes you know, mental health problems or well being issues. And really, what we sort of wanted to look at in this survey data is sort of looking at co-curing patterns of it. And is it the same for everybody? Is it different? Could it be, you know, explaining, sort of giving an insight on why certain gamers are well and why certain gamers aren't?
0: And on the latter point, when they're not very well, and they are, they do have something like gaming disorder, tell us a little bit about what that is and what the criteria would be around sort of diagnosis.
1: So it's a tricky, it's a tricky conversation, that one. There's an ongoing debate, but yes, and a lot of people having, you know, really strong and informed opinions and, and stronger and more informed opinions than I have on, on this matter to be fair. So there's a big debate on does the gaming disorder exist? If so, when and how and why? and there's a lot of disagreement on whether it should be a diagnosis or not. Yet having said that, it's currently a diagnosis, an international classification of diseases, so ICD-11. And it basically describes a pattern of gaming behaviors characterized by impaired control over gaming, increased priority to gaming over other activities, the extent to which gaming might sort of proceed over and overtake daily activities, impede functioning. And, you know, it's really based on the addiction scores for other addictions that are out there. So a big deciding factor for us is basically whether gaming is continued or escalated despite the co-occurrence of negative consequences, right? And it's, it's something that should be impeding persons functioning across different domains, so social, educational, occupational, other important areas of life and must be sort of evident for over 12 years. So it's, it's really similar to sort of alcohol dependencies, you know, drug addiction, all of those disorders. It's, we're just replacing gaming for the whatever the addiction is on and using same characteristics. And that is really where the debate is coming in because it implies that one can be addicted to gaming and that gaming is a substance that one can get addicted to. And really the jury is still out on that. The evidence is not that clear or not that one sided or the discussion is not that clear the evidence is pretty clear but
0: <laughs> and also when it comes to screen time i mean we're certainly always making parents aware within Tooled up education about it's more screen use we should be interested in what children are doing online mm. rather than sort of how long they've spent on it and as far as i'm concerned hopefully you'll agree that the research just would point to things like effect on posture and eyesight for prolonged use, that we should take greater interest in what our children are engaging with. So moving away from this paranoia about screen time a little bit and moving towards that dialogue about screen use and even the positive side of gaming as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely agree. I think somebody recently asked me in relation to this paper, whether that means that now we shouldn't control screen time and game use in children at all, because of apparently it's, it's great for most kids, right? <laughs> and, you know, I would caution against that, because obviously there are other other implications like posture and sort of eyesight and all of those things that could, you know, or carpal tunnel syndrome, like all of those things could be coming in or from sort of extreme use of anything. It's same as sadly eating too much cake is not good it's very possible that you know too much of anything is not great but so completely agree that it's really more about what we do online or when we're gaming how we're using it that probably has more potential effect on one's well-being and health physical or mental wise
0: Now, you were also interested, I think, in gender. So, I mean, a lot of people associate gaming with teenage boys, but that's not the case. We know that girl gamers, yourself included, are on the rise.
1: Girls love gaming as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, it sort of came from two sides. So, one is there's even longstanding memes and things like that in online communities of what girl gamers are or aren't. And one thing that a lot of previous gaming research. And obviously it does not include all of the gaming research, but there's definitely a sort of prevalent focus on sort of online multiplayer games and sort of PC games that seem to constantly found that it's really a boys type of activity and sort of adolescent boys. There's that prototypical gamer that that keeps appearing in a lot of those studies. But what it often misses out on is sort of, you know, mobile phone games or more recreational games that might not be seen as gaming by some people, however, really is by you know definition of what gaming is. It's playing games on some sort of video device. So we know that gaming is increasing in popularity in girls. We know that smartphone use is very popular in girls as well. And we have seen an increase in that in later years as well. There's more and more children and adolescents using their sort of mobile phones for gaming. And the gaming on mobile phones really sort of developing as well and becoming more more involving and, and more engaging. So I really wanted to make sure that that part of the experience is taken in because actually, you know, the, the, I think most of parents will recognize that kids spend so much time on Roblox nowadays, or that's something that they're talking about so much. And that's a different type of gaming than what we have had around, you know, 10 years ago or so. And it's important to acknowledge that and understand that when we're talking about gaming as well.
0: So with this particular paper that we're highlighting to everyone today, tell us a little bit about your research methodology and how you sort of, you know, recruited your sample. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So the sample comes from the Oxford Student Survey. So it's a repeated cross-sectional design survey that happens every couple of years. So we're excitedly actually preparing for a new launch now. So the next data collection will be happening at the end of the month and will be carrying into March. So it is a cross-sectional survey of students sampled across four different regions in England. So the Schools that are eligible to take part are either in Oxfordshire, Berkshire, Liverpool, or Milton Keynes. And we collect a lot of different data from students directly on their mental ill health, their well-being, their life experiences, their sleep patterns, their eating patterns, their self-harm behaviors, uh, their screen use and gaming behaviors a lot of different mental health measures and it has age appropriate versions so not all data is collected from all the participants and that this particularly relevant here as we're looking only at adolescent participants and it's important to note that this particular data was collected in june july 2021 so obviously it would have been somewhat affected by sort of covid related school closure still in a sense that there were sort of bubbles that were closing off so That is pretty much covers the data collection element. It's an online survey, as I mentioned, so children respond to it using a computer tablet or a phone. And in terms of what we're doing with the actual data, so we're focusing on sort of person-centered approach. So we're using something called latent profile analysis, which allows us to look at sort of patterns of association within different people. So ultimately, a lot of classical research methods approaches to this uses sort of variable-centered approach that really looks at uh, sort of average patterns of association. What this allows us to do is sort of look at the heterogeneity in in the gamer population and look how the sort of the time spent gaming, the device type, the well-being, how that interrelates potentially differently in different groups of people.
0: And you were able to produce, there's a beautiful visual that accompanies your research, which I'm looking at now. And that's kind of profiles of adolescents who are playing games more than sort of three and a half hours a day. And I think for parents, this is incredibly interesting because you're thinking, where's my child in the middle of that? And 44%, I think, of your sample, were what's called adaptive computer gamers. So high computer gaming, medium phone gaming, medium control over gaming, and the highest well-being. So wow, so let's Absolutely. just talk about that for a second.
1: <laughs> so yeah, uh, was very happy, sort of expected to see that and was quite happy to see that because it's definitely reassuring, you know, given the conversation that people are often having about gaming and definitely important to note that, again, we're looking here at heavy gamers already. So these are the, the adolescents that are spending over three and a half hours a day playing computer games, right, or, or phone games. And the fact that 44% of those adolescents are reporting really well-being that's higher than in those that are not doing any gaming. So it's not only higher in this small group of gamers. And, you know, so these are what we named adaptive computer gamers as they are spending long hours playing both computer and phone games. And, you know, they seem to be in control of it. And this just seems to be a healthy activity.
0: And obviously, the obvious question is why, you know, what is it that enhances their well-being? And the obvious answers are they're playing with their friends, they're interacting, they're socializing, they're competing, they're developing strategies. I mean, it's just...
1: yeah Yeah. very potentially like that's one of the things that we sadly did not have data on which is what exactly and that really comes back to the point you raised before right it's the screen use and what you're doing online that probably has a major impact and it's very very likely that it is the type of activities that they're involved in but you know It's important to remember that this is a cross-sectional design, right? So we're not necessarily showing the directionality of the relationship in anywhere. So whether these are the children that are just well in general, and hence they're playing games and that's it. That's just an activity they're doing or whether it's something that or their well-being is enhanced by the computer gaming. We cannot really say based on this data. It's likely to be a bi-directional relationship in some degree. You know, if if you're happy and you're doing things that you like, that's probably gonna gonna help you rather than hinder you, right?
0: And isn't there sort of an argument that quite well resourced, maybe wealthy children have much more access to digital technology to some degree? So there might be some sort of you know, protective asset in being well off and able to have an iPad and able to ask your parents to download a particular game or pay for it.
1: Very, very likely, because obviously that could indicate the sort of the availability of resources, right? And we've definitely, again, seen that, uh, you know, over the last couple of years in terms of the digital divide and the implications that that had on children's ability to access education, access, you know, their social networks, access all of that. It's really a sort of a blind spot when it comes to any sort of research on really digital means.
0: One of the most interesting aspects, I think, of your study, I read it several times, was about females and gaming on phones so let's explore this a little bit and talk us through what your findings showed what they mean
1: so i think to understand that it's important to sort of fully understand what sort of profiles we got right so when i mentioned before that we are using sort of person-centered approach so what we're doing is we're using these four variables which is the how much time they spend gaming on their computer or console how much time they spend gaming on their phone what is their control of gaming so it's a little scale based on sort of addiction measures where which gives them a score on how much in control they feel of their gaming behaviors and their well-being and based on that based on these patterns and the data and similarities in different adolescents where we're, we're grouping them into these six different profiles and we have discussed one of them being the the largest group which is 44 percent of our adolescents that fell into this adaptive computer gamer group then we had sort of most of other adolescents falling in sort of more middling ground groups that were casual computer gamers, casual phone gamers, or unknown device gamers. So we just were sort of lacking a bit of information there on exactly what they were doing in terms of their video gaming. And those groups were sort of, you know, they had medium control over the gaming, they had relatively high or, or medium well being, they spent some time playing games on computers, some time playing games on phones but they weren't really sort of coming out in problematic indicators at all. And then we had two small groups. So 6% and 2%, so 8% in total of groups that one of them was maladaptive computer gamer group. Another one was a maladaptive phone gamer group. So both of these groups, despite of their names, actually spent quite a lot of time playing games on their phones. And one of them spends more time playing computer games and another one less time playing computer games. But both of these groups were also characterized by poor control over their gaming activity and the low or, you know, very low well-being scores. So the finding you mentioned in terms of, of you know, phone gaming and females really comes from those two groups. And it's the fact that It seems to be a common factor, this uh, high phone gaming seems to be a common factor in these two groups. And these two groups also tend to be less likely to be male, so more likely to be female in comparison to the adaptive gamers. So again, to your question of how or why, it's hard to say, but there seems to be a pattern that's pointing to it. In terms of our data The sort of the the, the predictions of it, of who are the, the adolescents who would be falling into these groups, the only things that really came out as potentially significant are the facts that the maladaptive computer gamers were more likely to report high anxiety, so anxiety above clinical threshold, and the maladaptive phone gamers were more likely to report experiences of abuse, neglect and domestic violence. And I think those findings in particular are really meaningful in, in showing potential patterns or potential explanations of why these groups are forming in a way or why these groups are showing the the, the sort of the relationship between um, high gaming and low well-being. And it so happens at the moment that these seem to be mostly phone gamers and females.
0: And what was your sort of reflection of that, you know, just as a sort of an individual when you kind of came across that finding and what you know about general female mental health and everything else that's going on in the world affecting young women?
1: Well, that's the thing. So there's a few different explaining potential explanations for it. So one is that obviously this could be reflecting what it means to be a female gamer, although I think that's a sort of a less likely explanation of it. Another thing is that we know that Adolescent females, like adolescent girls are generally reporting much higher mental health issues and lower well-being. And it's still a sort of jury's out sort of situation. We very much need to figure out why and how, what is happening to our young females nowadays that's causing that is it a general sort of developmental pattern which does not seem to be because there wouldn't be an increase in it in recent years or is this something that's you know in our today's environment is it social media is it gaming environment is it how we raise girls what we expect from them that's sort of pushing them towards it and as i say in terms of our data really what we're seeing is more that that there's certain sort of background characteristics there's certain experiences that these adolescents report that are differentiating them from the other groups uh, more so than let's say you know their gender for example
0: One of the things that your research made me think about was the way in which we talk a lot about street harassment or sexual harassment in the offline world. But I don't think parents pay much attention to the fact that a lot of female gamers do experience web-based harassment, you know, even in the world of avatars, you know, or or the metaverse that they can be harassed and, and abused, even in digital spaces like that.
1: Absolutely. Like it's one of those things where I think, you know, there's, there's probably definitely a generational gap and it probably will always be given how, how quickly the technology develops. Right. So often we don't necessarily know what activities are the kids involved. And hence, we sort of don't necessarily think about the need to control it because it's games, right? And who controls somebody playing Monopoly, right? type of thing. So, however, it's really a new space to be in. And uh, the sort of the the social norms, the rules, regulations, bullying, abuse, all of the things that can happen in a classroom, they can also happen online. To be fair, you know, a, a lot of the bullying nowadays happens online, you know, not necessarily strangers online, it's probably the people we know in the real life. However, that's the form it's taking. So it's quite likely to be happening in gaming too.
0: Do you think that, I mean, just imagine you were a, a parent with two teenage children playing gaming. What would you take from your research that would make you think a little bit differently? Would you think about a little bit having conversations in a different way or what else would be on your radar that potentially hasn't been?
1: Well, I think it's, again, it's it's really coming back down to those other experiences, right? So it's sort of thinking about why the person is choosing to play excessive amount type of thing. So really seeing the potentially excessive gaming or problematic gaming in that sort of sense as a symptom rather than a cause for something so it's really sort of like looking back and sitting down with the child and going like, what is it in your life currently that's maybe forcing you to tried to run away and again sort of modulating that as well in terms of acknowledging the fact that you know playing a lot of games is just also what kids do nowadays so it in itself is not necessarily a cause for concern right it's really looking for the other symptoms and sort of seeing whether gaming might be might be a signal for it
0: And thinking about their motivation to participate in that sort of activity, is it because they can't wait to be with their friends or are they alone in a room playing on their own for three hours? So I think it's about their qualitative differences within those experiences. Um, Would you recommend, do you think it's a nice idea, it seems intuitively a good idea that parents sort of engage with digital gaming and say, what game are you playing? Can I play just to even, you know, understand what is appealing about particular games?
1: Oh absolutely. I mean for one thing we should always take interest in what our kids are doing, right? So it's definitely definitely an advisable thing to to do and obviously especially if 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 one is a parent that's not naturally involved in it for example, making sure that we know what sort of activities children are engaging in is extremely important because obviously and this goes sort of beyond beyond our this particular paper but you know there are a lot of risks and potential harms in sort of online activity and a lot of gaming nowadays is online so you know children are able to talk to strangers share personal information you know make arrangements to 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 meet online experience bullying experience abuse so all of these things they have to be acknowledged as real-life experiences. They're not just a sort of virtual reality and hence not real. These are experiences that their kids are experiencing in day-to-day day life. And it's important to talk about it, important to acknowledge why it's happening and how it's happening, how is it making the kids feel, how to deal with those things. And sometimes, you know, that might be a choice to not participate. Sometimes it might be, you know, just ability to, to sort of step away from it. So, um, yeah extremely important to understand and discuss the gaming and the motivation for it.
0: And increasingly, young people don't draw a distinction between their on and offline self. So I think parents should stop doing that as well and just Mm. take an interest in who their child is online and how they're behaving and how they're engaging with other gamers and those activities as well. So tell us, what is the next stage of this brilliant study that we can look forward to? So you mentioned there's a new data set or reveal coming up soon.
1: Yeah, so new data collection coming up soon for any schools really in those areas. So that was Liverpool, Milton Keynes, Oxfordshire and Berkshire. There's still time to sign up if they want to take part in it as well. So we we take a lot of time making sure that a lot of the information that we collect is sort of given back to schools and that the schools can implement actions in their sort of, you know, in their particular sphere as well. So that's really concerning their own data. So any schools that are interested are certainly should be taking part. And if you're a parent in one of those areas, do talk to your school and see if they would be interested in taking part. So we are collecting this data soon. As I said, that the data collection starts on 21st of February and runs till March 21st. And we are expanding the, you know, certain areas and, uh, of our questions. So one of the things in terms of gaming that I'm particularly uh, interested in looking at, and and that's you know one of the questions you brought up is basically how are the kids gaming? Is it a social activity? Is it not? What sort of activities you're engaging in? Who are you doing it with? And you know, because because it's a very intuitive explanation that it could be the socialness of it that's really benefiting the kids here type of thing, or you know the the, the different experiences of being online. We're also currently working on a paper looking at at sort of the online activities and, and types of activities that young people are involved in and how those interact and relate to one another. So quite a few exciting things coming up.
0: And I know that CoSpace that you're involved with, that you know, Cathy Cresswell's work, we're very aware of Cathy's work, is that that's something we can sort of keep up to date with. So like this study, we can sort of look at a particular website and understand what some of the emerging findings are?
1: Yes, for sure. So for the Oxwell study, there's the Oxwell website, which is oxwell.org. And for the CoSpace study... So that study on supporting parents and young people through epidemics, and it really has been sort of—it's an online survey that's been tracking how parents and children been doing throughout the pandemic. So from March 2020, and we're currently doing some longer-term follow-ups. So there's a survey collection coming up as well in March. It will be our last scheduled survey at this point. So that's really gonna tell us how the parents, adolescents and children are that sort of been with us throughout this journey, how they're doing now three years, you know, after the start of the pandemic really. And the website for that is cospaceoxford.org. And that has all of our findings and reports and things like that coming up all the time as well. We recently had a report out on a 2.5 year development too. Wow. Well, it's all amazing.
0: And I think it's such a, I mean, just reading the notes to do with that paper, it was fantastic. So we're going to be highlighting that paper to all of our schools and our parents and just helping distill a little bit of the findings and hopefully, you know, it'll help people feel reassured. And I think it's incredibly interesting and has made us all think slightly differently about the way in which we can interact with our own gamers at home. So thank you for all the work that you do, Simona. We're incredibly grateful for it. And we look forward to staying abreast of all the things that you're doing in that space. Thank you.
1: Brilliant. Thank you. This
0: podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education www.tooledupeducation.com. Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.